Hi, thanks for joining me, Dave Levine, for episode number 21 of the Sports Stories podcast. We continue to fulfill our promise of providing an inspirational educational podcast every week that will hopefully lead you to take positive steps in your life to be the best version of yourself more often and with great skill. Today's guest is Mark Bennett, MBE. Hold on tight for today's conversation. I can guarantee this will be fast-paced, straightforward, and will give you lots to think about in terms of how you change your behaviours and the behaviours of those around you. Mark has over 30 years experience in the field of coach development and calls on his military experience too. I'm so looking forward to speaking with him, both to learn more about Mark the person, as well as the performance development system he has spent so much time developing. I'd also love to hear your takeaways following the podcast. So let's crack on and let me introduce my very special guest for today, international coach developer and founder of PDS System, Mr. Mark Binnett, MBE. Mark, it's really great to have you with me on the Sports Stories podcast. Thanks for giving up your space and time to, to join me today. We've, we've worked together a long time ago. It's been a bit of a time to come back together again. And I'm really excited about hearing what you've been up to, where you've got to with um, the PDS work that you've been doing, but also some of your more detailed work. The one thing I am really keen to do, though, is find out a little bit about Mark Bennett, the person, as well as Mark Bennett, the people developer. So just as a starter, I would like to just give our listeners an opportunity for you to describe how might your friends or close colleagues describe you, Mark? Well, it depends which one you speak to, obviously. Uh, as the general consensus is, because of, often we've had social chats and work and I've always come up with these similar, if you're looking at simple words, it's patient and relentless keeps popping up. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, I, I think one of the things that comes across is that they they always say you kind of, you're very you're a very private person and uh you know you love your dogs seem to more than you love your people but you you definitely live by what you share and and that's one of the things that always comes across as very apparent you know you pursue excellence in what you do you you live by it you don't just say it so yeah i'm always in in a social party i'll be the one in the corner privately or you know if i'm not with people i prefer to be in a country with the dogs and just have private space um in fact funny thing was after this social distancing i i realized that actually i normally do social distancing anyway <laughs> that is what i do you're, you're well practiced in in being on your own in yeah, isolation yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 well that's that's a great picture you paint there mark let me take us back right back to sort of nearly day dot and your first sort of introduction and memories of sport. How, how did you get into sport and what, what impact did the early part of your life and sport have on you? Yeah, it, it was really interesting because I, um, when I was a young child, must have been five years old, I moved down to Cornwall and my family did. Um, and we went to a big primary school where there was a lot of sport in Red Ruth. And I was always, you know, in the main team, pick first, you know, off we went, and I loved all the sport. And then when I was about seven or eight, we moved again to a very, very small village, Fioc in Cornwall, three or four houses. That's it, right next to the river. And it was just woods and fields. So, and the school I went to then, there was, there was 20 people in the whole school, two classes of 10, two teachers um, of all ages from, you know, five to 10. So I went from playing a lot of sport and being active to actually playing zero sport. Um, and having real no friends apart from my rescue dog. So my whole day from school was just um, running around in the wood with the dog, no real social interaction up until secondary school. So when I went to secondary school, the first impact of sport again was I was the worst at sport. My hand coordination was bad. 
Um, I was always the last to get picked in football. I was the goalie because no one wanted to be goalie. So I saw the other side and I had no support from the teachers. It was very much, you know, let's work with the, the guys they perceive as good. And I was always at the end. No one, no teacher ever coached me. No one really supported me. So it was, it was interesting, that shift. And it was only a few years ago when I reflected on how, what's influenced me now of understanding, don't look at the person of what's in front of you, look at who they're potentially capable of. And it does connect back to having that real understanding and empathy early on. And then when I started to focus on things, like I had a go of, I just bought a basketball and I found a basketball ring um, locally. And I just said, well, I'm just going to start throwing the ball and seeing. And I got really good at throwing the ball and it was going in. So it was not the fact that I couldn't. It was the fact I didn't have the, the time and the understanding to develop kind of, if that makes sense, even the hand-eye coordination. So that was the very, very early stages. And then obviously joining the military in 83, we always did bits of sports. So, you know, when it comes to hockey or anything, I was generally very fit, running around with a dog, cycling to school four or five miles every day. When it came to fitness, I was very, very good endurance wise. When it came to skill, actually it was a bit imbalanced, if that makes sense. So I was always like, oh, you go in defense marking hockey, nobody will get past you. Um, I might've been fouling a bit, but actually I was relentless, you know, give me a job and I'll just do it. Bam, 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 what do I need to do kind of thing. And I was still good at work solving problems naturally. You know, I can say, why don't we do this kind of thing? LinkedIn today, it wasn't sport, but this was an interesting um, point, a light bulb moment for me as a kid. When uh, at 12, 13, I joined the army cadets. Um, Cause when I was, when I was a kid, you know, my mum was a bit concerned of what do I want to do when I leave school. She was thinking, you know, this kid, what's he going to do? So I said, I want to be a vet or I want to be a commando. And my mum said, well, if you want to be a vet, you're going to have to do your homework. So I said, I'm going to be a commando. So <laughs> I, I didn't like homework, basically in school, because no, no teacher connected with me apart from my art and pottery and technical drawing teacher of the value of why we do things. So I was the inquisitive kid asking the why questions and most teachers just shut me down. So therefore I became disengaged in school. No one connected me with the value of homework and actually doing things unsupervised and how that's giving you skills in life, the discipline, et cetera. No one connected that. So it, it got to a point in army cadets where I, I really loved it there because people were treating me and giving me scuffs. I really loved and enjoyed doing. I learned really quick. And then I thought, well, let me do a charity event. So I, as this was me at 13, Dave, I said, let me do a hundred mile walk around Cornwall for a old age people's home. So they went, Mark, 100 miles, you know, how far have you walked before? I said, well, five, I've done five. And they said, yeah, no. I said, well, let's just do it. So this is me, a young kid. So the adult cadet officers said, well, let's drive it. So this is where the lock ball came off. So what we did, we went down the North Ridge, which was in Cornwall. If you've ever been to Cornwall on the North Coast, it is very, very hilly. And we got to Land's End and we were at 60 odd miles. And they went, well, how, what are we going to do here? And they, I'm in the back of this car and they'll sat looking at maps, getting really confused talking. And I'm in the back thinking, well, this is really simple. And eventually I thought, because I'd never really challenged or suggested with adults before. And it was the first time I said, well, why don't we just go a shorter route on the way back? And it was kind of, they both looked at me and went, oh yeah and it was it kind of connected with that sometimes i'm just i what i'm very good at is just stepping back i've always done it naturally and just looked at things but not getting too involved in the discussions and i think that's been a strength for me but also i think it's been a weakness because sometimes i've known the solution and sometimes i've been impatient when others haven't in the discussion um as opposed to you know having that dialogue and patience so that's that's kind of those light bulb moments early on and then going back into sport in schools um 
you know, I was really good, then really bad, then in the arm, and it was kind of, okay, well, you're fit to just, let's always have Mark because he's fit. But again, no coaching. So when I started connecting, running the commando training wing and really wanted to challenge the way we were developing our soldiers, I started to look to sports. So Warrington Wolves, early, uh, late 90s, Oldham Rugby League, Sail Shark, Saracens, um, 2000. And I was really having an impact by then because I started to develop and challenge in the early 90s how we could influence people. That was where it came from with recruits. And I saw the transferability in sport. So it was really then when that's when my passion, the passion started in the 90s when I thought I'm useless at what I do. I need to understand how to get better to influence soldiers. But it was only recently that I've recognized those little moments as a kid unknowingly had influenced my understanding of not to look face value who's in front of you to give them time how did you come to note or recognize that those early experiences were playing out in what you do now Uh, i i didn't make the connection it was only some old people questioned me so what's really was interesting with old people is they sit down and observe and um, it was, we had what the first time it was early 90s when I started to challenge traditional methods. I'd just come from commando forces, just served operationally in the, the Gulf Operation Haven after the Gulf and got promoted to a recruit training center where I was a physical training instructor training the recruits. And that's when I realized I was pretty useless and changed the way I did it and challenged, could I influence people? So when you were in the commando unit doing your training, yeah, yeah. you recognized that the impact you were having wasn't having the impact that you wanted. It was after that, Dave. So I'd, okay. I'd served in the commandos, um, passed the commando course. Again, there was, yeah. I think, 90-odd on the course, nine passed. It was quite an arduous course. Yeah. But I didn't make any connection then. It was just like, yeah, I've passed. I'm not injured. I've got through. Yeah. But then after the golf, and I'd already done the physical training instructors course, and I didn't make the connection then either. But yeah. I knew I was really good at, unknowingly, I was just confident I could get the best out of people in front of me. Yeah. Um, people that sometimes people couldn't connect with um, soldiers that run fit or demotivated yeah. and I couldn't make the connection, but no context yet, no connection internally. Then when I went to recruit training, the f- what happened was every 10 weeks you have a platoon and as a physical training instructor in those days, you could do whatever you wanted to them in your physical training lessons. Then at right. the end of 10 weeks, there was competitions, log race, obstacle course, endurance yeah. course. And my platoons won every single competition. So I'm thinking I'm the man. I what was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this is it. But however, then I realized I was useless. And how I realized was on one of the pass off parades at about 18 months in, one of the parents came up to me and said, oh, my son doesn't stop talking about you. You've really changed his life. And the light bulb went off because I'd also realized I'd also changed the life of every recruit that had not passed in. Right. Then I looked at the numbers of my platoon and realized they were smaller than some of the others. So I actually, that was my light bulb when I thought, actually, I'm not very good at influencing people in the big picture, maybe one-to-ones, but actually what I wasn't doing well enough is consciously recognizing if people didn't have the mental robustness, the ability to, you know, how they interpret tough times, you know, how they learn, how they get motivated, how to develop that. It was kind of keep up with me guys in your past, but I wasn't really good good enough at influencing the ones that didn't have those qualities right so i decided then in that moment i need to change my job or change the way i did it so i started to challenge myself and just be inquisitive how could i change unfortunately dave 
for me, for external, no internet, remember, no, I, you know, yeah. I wasn't reading books in the libraries and stuff about this stuff. I didn't even know what it was called. So I, I started to lose a couple of competitions yeah, great. Yeah. when I started to influence. And then you can imagine the negativity I had with all the other instructors now, yeah. the platoon commanders of sergeants. You're getting soft mark. This is, what's this tree hugging, they called it. You know, you, you, know, you need to go back. But, but the platoons were bigger passing out. So I knew they were reaching a pass grade, but they weren't up to the level of fitness that the others were and maybe mental robustness so what was the difference there then what what did you say would you say it was just it was just spending it was one i was scanning better i didn't know this at the time but uh, you know and i didn't know the word for it but i was i was scanning i was consciously scanning everyone i was attempting to pick up early the people that had the triggers of struggling you know when when the session got tough yeah physically they could have gone on but mentally they decided to give up yeah. Um, and they were getting a negative experience. So it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I was noticed the fit guys were only really shouting at the least fit guys, as opposed to going, what could you say to help them get better? So my real shift was said, look, su- success for us. And I, it was funny because I use those words, which I use now. Guys, success for us is everyone getting through this log race, everyone getting through this obstacle course, everyone passing out. So it's up to you fit guys to help the other guys. So it was kind of, I didn't know the tools to do it, but it was a, it was an overt, look, there's the challenge guys. So then when a fit guy was running up in front and a, a guy was struggling, as opposed to shouting at them, I was going, Hey, turn around. Okay. What can you do there? And then yeah, straight away they were sprinting back. Now they weren't, obviously it wasn't high skill, but actually there was a conscious effort. You know, how can we help the others? And it was a bit rough around the edges, but I started to then win the competitions again with so bigger like, numbers passing in. And you, you said there a couple of times, I didn't realize this at the time. So what was it that really helped you reflect on your practice to help you get better? How come you now know this? It was the doubters. Right. So the doubters started to challenge me and I knew I 100% believed it was working because you could see it was working, but they were challenging me. So I then had to self-question right. and go, well, I, and I realized I was really poor at explaining it. So I thought I believe in it, but I need to understand how to explain it. Right. So uh, that's when it was like, you have to go back. You've got to look at what, well, what am I doing? What's the difference? If that makes sense, what's the difference was my kind of question. Yeah. So then I could explain it. But then the next stage was I'd obviously, I transferred to the army physical training corps, which is a very tough seven month long course, only 500 in the whole British army. It's, um, it is a bit personality driven to get in, but it's, you know, it's mentally, physically um, very tough. And then when I got into there, I was really, I was really now working outside with pro sports and I was getting success. So I knew I was good, but, but what I was getting was I was getting a divided opinion of me. So some people were going, Mark, this is great. And some people were going out their way to discredit it that had never met me um, that, you know, maybe seeing this as, an ego thing or hang on this guy's doing something different who does he think he is very rank i'm senior rank here and what does he think he's doing so then i had some academics and when i say academics dave in the military if you had an msc you were seen as an academic not in the big world yeah what they were doing was and there was a couple of them and i won't mention their names but you know they're still embedded in my head now so i have to thank them in some ways they were saying well there's no academic rigor to this you know he's done it here but it wouldn't work here so they weren't okay. saying it directly to me. They were saying it with other people, but it got back to me. So then I had to go, well, I, I, I'm now, I can't argue with them because I don't know academia. 
Right. So then I was I had to do another bit of understanding of look, don't and there was a bit of confidence issue there as well, Dave, because yeah, when start someone comes from above you and then they're saying, Look, what you're doing, it's just made up, it's just personality driven, there's no academic rigor. I didn't even know what academic rigor was, you know, it's kind of what is this? And, and what was that like? Because you know, I'm conscious we both work in the world of sport and a lot of people come through their sport journey and not everybody has got an academic kind of background do they? Yeah, and, yeah, they yeah. and a lot of people do I dare say kind of nudged in that direction what did it feel like being kind of questioned around the academic side of things for you it, 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 there was a lot of negative self-reflection yeah. from my side you know it, at times it got me down it definitely negatively impacted my interaction with the people in my you know organization so I, I tended to step away I tended to actually not communicate effectively you know I was always having an unconscious bias okay I'm going to speak to this guy barriers were up um, and interestingly Dave they never asked me a question right. so these these people and it still happens now and we know we both know people that now in sport that actually don't value what I do but have never seen it and never asked me a question about it but they say they know it so for me I'm cool with that now but in those periods, I wasn't cool with it. I yeah. was really struggling mentally. It was yeah. getting me down at times. And I was feeling a bit lost because I had no one to turn to. I didn't have a mentor. There was no internet. You know, I just thought I'm on my own here. And if yeah. there's enough people telling me, it, you know, it, it's not good. It's just a personality. You're just lucky. You start some self-doubt. And what I was not very good at, and sometimes I think this is human, Dave. I know you know this. And there's times when I catch myself now, but I'm better at it. I can have a hundred people say, Mark, you've changed my life. This is phenomenal. I can have one person say, Mark, it doesn't work, you know, bang, bang, bang. And my focus is on that one person. And on one person. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and we're it's not kind the only of, one, are we? You know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you find, you know, unless you really, now I'm, I'm much better now, you know, I'm a lot calmer. And, and my first question is, okay, so what is it that's making them think that way as opposed to, they're wrong it's kind of there must be a level of empathy of you know why do they understand so if i i work on a process now of i value everyone but if someone's making a statement negative about what i do i now ask myself what do they know about it how many questions have they asked where are they going to experience it so my first go-to is please come to one of the, the sites that's running it there isn't me there is it's an intervention that i've used please you're invited which one would you like to go to then if they turn it down then it's like well now i'm not going to bother you know it's okay the door's left open but now now that ability to me be worried about what you're saying is now i've switched that one off because you've turned down the opportunity to understand it i guess in some ways at least they've engaged with it and they've I've seeked to understand if you've managed to get them to see what you do and yes everybody i guess has a choice the bit that was striking me is those people that that are judging you without knowing yeah 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 I don't know anyone, Dave, that has, has come to view what I do. Um, and even when I'm not there, gone to a site where it's running and have turned around and go, I've never had anyone say there's no value in this. So the only people that now are not are the people that never ask any questions about it and have never gone out of their way to really look at it. They'll find somebody to knock it and then I go, yeah, you're supporting my thoughts. So bang, bang, bang. So Matt, for those listening, we're talking quite conceptually here, I guess, in terms of yeah. what you do. Can you summarize what is the PDS approach? What do you do, would you say? Yeah, the, if you look at the big picture, it's actually uh, developing adherent strategies to support cultural change, to support behavioral change uh, with practical tools and self-reviewing analysis principles that allow you to 
have greater positive impact on the people you're influencing. That's the short version. So in schools, in sport, in corporate organizations, in parenting, it, it works where there's humans, but my passion is in sport, but I have gone into schools to help teachers with disengaged, disruptive kids, but it's, it's not just the tools of coaching tools, which some people think it is. It's actually a whole adherent supporting change to, to embed new behaviors. That's the whole system. I'm going to relate back to you now. And can you recall an example or a time where you were struggling in your career, where you maybe have used this approach for you? In my old, in my career, yeah. I mean, so many times. <laughs> let's let's pick one down. <laughs> yeah. Well, my first one, and it wasn't when I knew what I was doing. So this this takes you back. You know, when you remember the odd things and you remember nothing weeks before and after. <laughs> one of those first moments when I thought, wow. Um, was I was in army cadets and the and I was one of the junior people there but I've been there for about a year and the um, map reading instructor hadn't turned up so we had a group of about 20 most of them older than me and they said right can anyone take this class and no one said anything so so I just stood up said I'll, I'll take it sir so I kind of stood up and they were expecting me just to do the theory stuff, you know, bam, 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 this is a map, this is a grid, this is a compass. But actually, I took everyone outside and we picked up compass and we started to go, okay, so okay, take a grid to that, you know, where can you see it? And even the instructor never did that. He kept us in the classroom. Right. So then the adult afterwards, he didn't say anything to me, walked out and got some other adults and they came and they were just observing. I, I you know, I didn't know what they were doing. But then afterwards, they said, what, who taught you to do that? And I said, well, no one taught me. It just made sense, you know, because I wanted them to understand. So for me, it made sense for them to experience it and, you know, make it, it as, yeah. as real like, yeah, as we could with the understanding. And that, you know, that stayed with me because they went, well, this is really good. They, they were the first people to ever say, wow, you know, we've never seen anyone do that before. That's brilliant. And, you know, I'm a, what, 13, 14 years old when the young kid's there. So that those moments when you go, also. We can talk about it, but if we go, let's do it, let's have the experience and talk about the experience. For me, that's been my go-to. So anytime there's been a bit of a barrier, and you see it even on Twitter when there's been a bit of a conversation or challenge, it's yeah. go, okay, so let's let's talk about an example. If it's a discussion, you know, online, let's let's contextualize it. Give me an example, let's talk through it. And if it's alive, go, okay, well, let's go and do it. Let's yeah. do it and then let's review it. So that has always helped me now of we can talk about it, but actually let's just have an experience in it and let's review the experience. Brilliant. So properly bringing it to life rather than leaving it in the kind of the academic or the conceptual world is yeah, yeah. actually yeah. what's really going on. That's the challenge, Dave, isn't it? Because we know, you know, research, etc., is a really fantastic tool that can really delve down and help us, but on its own, it's a waste of time. So what we've, but actually people just doing stuff without really measuring and understanding how and why they're doing, is it transferable, is also a bit of a waste of time. So there's value with practitioners that have experience and there's value with academics that are looking for the academic rigor to something. But actually the sweet spot's in the middle mm -hmm. where we go, okay, here's some contextualized um, theories that we've taken from some practical experience. Okay, so let's, let's put it and let's see if there's trends. Let's, you know, let's see how, what we can pick up from it and learn. 
and there's some academic literature. Well, let's contextualize it. Let's bring it alive and let's see if there's transferability. So it's, it's, uh, for me, it's always been the sweet spot in the middle that both can be useless, but both can be of real value. But it's a context, isn't it? I'm, I'm also hearing in terms of your journey that, you know, you, you were very much from the practical yeah, applied yeah. direction fearful of the academic research side yeah. but what you've managed to do is draw the two together and find a center place so you become much more comfortable with the research academic information and what that can provide yeah. to you yeah definitely and part of that as well is I've met some academics that have been that haven't had any egos that have actually looked at my stuff and says Mark this is fantastic do you know what that is I go no and they say what's this <laughs> and you know and you know they've looked at it objectively and they've made the contextual links to academia which is fantastic um, so I've now had negative and positive experiences, but for me, I'm really comfortable. I mean, it's been 30 years now, Dave, so you should be comfortable, right? Yeah. It's been a, a passion that for me, if it works on the ground and if you constantly know how to adapt it based on the situation and the individual needs of the people in front of you, and if you can transfer it to other situations, then, then be comfortable with it. You know, it's working, yeah. but if it's where you've done it once, but you don't know how to do it and actually you're struggling to transfer it, then there's a problem. So it's understanding that balance of the practicality and understanding it's a, sometimes it's a language. So someone will do something over and over. They'll know how to do it. They won't know the academic name for it. They don't know research on it, but they can explain it to you in layman's terms. Yeah. They can repeat it with different people, different situations. Great. But if someone can, can't repeat and adjust the individual needs, then it's a bit of a weak system or product or, yeah. or strategy, if that makes sense. Yeah. But is that not the same with most? If we're not actually using whatever approach we have to its optimal, it can it won't yeah. have the impact we want. You know? Yeah. And I think that's the challenge, isn't it, David? We look at at the end of the day, sport is practitioner. You know, it's if you're a coach or you're a player or you're a manager or you're a mentor or you're a psychologist or you're a SNC or a physio. It's about how can you have a positive impact on, on the people that you're the service provider to. So if you're having a positive impact, then you're effective. Now, if you're only effective with one type of personality or one type of person, one age group, then actually you're a bit limited. But if you understand it enough where you can make those subtle adjustments in your, your coaching style, and when I say coaching, how you interact, Dave, that can be obviously for anybody that is having an impact particularly unsupervised, not supervised, which is a big thing for me is, is it transferable? So when you're not there and the pressure changes, is it still embedded? Then, then it's successful. So it's kind of understanding you, we have, there's people in sport, Dave, and football's a great example where a, a manager may have great success. And we know many managers bring their own coaching team with them. They, they move, bring their own coaching team and they have success with one team. And then they move to another team and they can't seem to repeat that success. And part of that may be things just clicked and happened in that environment, but they weren't consciously knowing how to bring it alive and step. It kind of happened. So therefore they struggled to replicate it because they didn't know what caused it, what was the sequence. And when there was a regression, what, how effective was the intervention? Yeah. And for me, it's, it's giving coaches that understanding in practical terms of, okay, the how to, but if you hear, where do you go? If, you know, it's understanding your baseline and understand one, not, how can you have a short-term change, but how can you, you embed that change yeah. with different and, and, people, different And I'm also hearing, you know, like any of these frameworks or models, it's knowing how to bring them to life and where to flex yeah. them and adapt them and apply them in the different contexts for the different audiences and so on. And that's the skill, isn't it? I guess the framework on its own, any framework, doesn't come to life. Somebody has to bring it to life. Yeah. And, and, and the lovely bit for me when you're talking, you know, you gave some great examples there around roles within sport. But for me, as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, education, in business, in military, 
in in the arts you know it's a concept that actually it's about helping people maximize the impact that they have or change behaviors you know so yeah yeah and that's why when i run the training courses or mentoring one of the first things i do is make sure when we say a word what do we mean by it what does it look like so even the word coach we need to establish when we say coach what do we mean by that what does it look like so for me often i switch the word from think of coach as influencer Right. So you need the light and shade. There's times when you need to tell, and obviously there's a safety issue as well, but there's times when you need to step back and let people figure it out. But here's the thing. If we want people to figure it out, give them the tools to figure out, teach them an action review process. So it's a great example, Dave, is how often now is reviewing a big fashion thing now. Same as Athletes Entered over the last few years has been a fashionable statement. Yeah. But when I watch it, not many people are really doing it. And we want players to self-review but often the self-review is only in a classroom afterwards or an hour afterwards or, or a day later where we're getting you or asking people a lot of questions. So if we want people to self-review, surely you want them to effectively make great choices and evaluate them live in the moment, not afterwards. It's so too late if then, we want them to, Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. if we want them to do that, teach them a framework that makes it simple, use common language so they understand to make it easy for them to be successful. And I think that's often where we're missing. We know what we want. We know the type of player we want, teams, you know, pupil, management, but often we don't know how to take them from A to Z and what's B, what's C. And understanding B, C may be different order and different length of time for different yeah. people, but understand that. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Why do some people not engage with this approach? What is it that they find uncomfortable with it? I think, obviously, I mean, I don't know the answer. This is just my opinion, but yeah. I believe that, some people struggle just on their own experiences. So if you, if you just look at sports coaching now, we have most coaches, particularly at high level, have played the sport to some degree, some to quite a high degree. They get fast tracked into coaching, some others not. So their experience of effective coaching in their eyes, in their perception of effective would have been their experience. Yeah. So if their experience was the coach is in charge, you know, he's telling them, what to do is shouting the answers and the solutions and where they need to go wrong, et cetera, et cetera. If that's all they know, and then they hear on YouTube or, you know, on some podcast, Oh, athlete centered. It's about asking questions. And now they're thinking, what a load of tosh. Why do I want my players standing around listening to the coach asking questions? I want them to play. So the challenge with that is understanding and, and actually seeing it with an open eyes to go, Oh no, I like that. But my perception of what you're telling me, I don't like. So I think sometimes it's when someone, obviously change, it's like thing, who wants change? Oh, everyone, who wants to change? Well, no, not so much, but it's, it's kind of, I'm only gonna change if I see value in it. So it's about getting people to understand, I'm open, when you say this now, I see the value in it. And I think some people that have had negative experiences within athlete center for an example need center whatever it may be the asking questions so they've gone from one way which they've had some success with and they're comfortable with and now someone is saying actually there's a better way or and and i think that's where we get a bit wrong in how we're sharing it's not a better way it's added value to what we're already doing so if you can understand it where does it sit in it's not saying you're a bad coach and i think this is the other challenge is no one I know has ever been a coach that has de deliberately attempted to sabotage a coaching session or yeah. athletes. People are passionate. I mean, coaching is not highly paid for most people. You go the amount of hours you put in, et cetera. You've got to have a passion for it. So what we need to be mindful of, if, if, we're, if we want people to buy into them changing in something they're comfortable with, 
we need to find a way to help them see the value and help them understand what it actually is and what it actually isn't. I think Athlete Centre, for example, has, has for me, I've gone to see places that said it's athlete centred and it hasn't been. It's been terrible. It's been kids standing around listening to coach talking a lot. So we've got to make sure that what we're sharing, they have a positive first experience with it or they have a positive experience that can dismiss the negative experiences. Mm. But understand it takes a lot of courage and patience to change. So we, we have to support that change. So empathy is one thing, but also understanding there's some people that actually don't want to entertain it. They're comfy where they are. They feel they're getting some results and they're going, I'm not interested in changing. I'm, you know, it's just me. And we've got to sometimes accept that or, yeah. or we say, actually, the need is greater than your want. So if you're an example would be Dave, I'll give an, ex, an extreme example yeah, is a coach is very much saying they're focused at grassroots on, or even an academy level or pre-academy of it's all about results for me. So I'm picking the best players um, yeah. just to get results. I'm telling them what to do. They have to do this because I'm focused on the results, but actually the need in that area is developing people and developing every player to get them to manage their state, be aware of state, scan well, make great choices, commit, um, get the best out of their teammates. What does that look like? Yeah. So if, if their parameter of success is so far off what the need is for those players in there, then that's where we need to challenge that coach. And we use a principle of change the coach or change the coach. Yeah. So let's do everything we can to get them to see the value on why they need to change based on what is success for this situation to get yeah. them to switch that. Or we say, well, actually, you're not right for this organization. Yeah. You may be right over here, but you're not for us. So I think that's the challenge as well, Dave, when we're looking at the way sport is going, especially with wellness now that is, it's disappointing for me because you and I, I know for years and years when we've spoken, the wellness of people behind the player is key. Yeah. If you develop the, the person behind the player, you'll get a better player because player. the only thing 24 seven is a person, not the player. Yeah. Yeah. But and it, it'll cascade it, through, it, won't it? <laughs> definitely. And the rapport comes and you give them the tools to self-evaluate, make good choices, evaluate life. That's a person skill. So if it's working, they'll do it in their school, in their education, in relationships, doesn't matter. But it's disappointing to me that the only time we seem to get a priority and focus on things that should always be important is when there's a media problem. So there's now been media plates in. Obviously, we had uh, gymnastics yeah. um, with that very disturbing video on Netflix with the American gymnastics. Yeah. Now it's come to light in gymnastics in, in other countries. We've had the cycling as well a few yeah. years ago. But my, my issue is, is why are we waiting for something like that to pop up before we say this is important, important enough to, to action, action long enough to embed the type of environment we want? We've known about it for years. So why aren't we actually focused on giving coaches the skills beyond the tech tack that is going to help them develop the people and put prioritizing that in training and mentoring, not on the focus on more the foundation of technical and tactical. So why, why are we, do you think though? What is in the system that's still driving us in that direction? Oh, if, if only we knew the answer to that. I, I, the things that um, having supported basketball for, for a long time, and obviously yeah. Alan Keane, you know, um, yeah. 10 years now I've been mentoring Alan and a lot of other basketball coaches and teams. They're an example of, their funding to grow their grassroots sport is coming from one major source. And that one major source is giving them funding based on medal potential right. at Olympics and worlds. Yeah. So if we have a, we have a, a person that holds purse strings 
yeah. providing although they say actually grassroots and and um getting numbers in sport is important their main funding comes from medal potential yeah. we've got a fundamental flaw there that is yeah. contradictive yeah. to the whole statement of what we want to develop so yeah. that in itself is wrong so yeah. what we need to do is go okay so basketball for example if we develop and support the coaches at grassroots, whereas, whereas everything's going to stem from society, helping behaviors in society, and also medals long-term, yeah. what does that look like? What type of training and support do we need to have the impact in 10 years for our medals, but we're never going to compromise people for medals? Right. What does that look like? And put the funding there. Here's the thing. The governing bodies need to know what it looks like and have a clear strategy. I think some governing bodies don't know what that looks like. The words on a paper look good, yeah. but I don't think they're that great. And I'm generalizing here at sharing to the people that give them the funds go, okay, this is what it looked like specifics. Here's what we're going to do. Yeah. It's very wishy washy. So then the people that are giving the funds are, well, you're not giving us much here. And where's your impact statement? So the problem, again, some sports are writing their own impact statement. So, well, that's not very good in itself either. And, and where's the measures? If the measures again on results, then our measures are ineffective based on the behaviours we want to achieve. If that, I mean, that's a simple... Oh, the, the measures are driving the wrong behaviours, aren't they? Yeah, definitely, yeah. It could be, yeah. Yeah. So, I, so I, you know, I don't know the answer, but I do think there's yeah, some yeah. fundamental shifts that we need to not just follow through when it's in the media spotlight, that we need to embed and follow through for decades. And I don't think we're good at that. I think we react to what's in the media too much yeah. and we react to when there's a problem. You know, we, we do heavy um, investigations when there's a problem. Why don't we do heavy investigations when there's great success in behaviours and cultures? What is it they're doing there that is so great that we can repeat? We're not very good at that. Back to sport, Dave, in often sports I've worked with at pro level, you know, international level, is when they win a game by a big margin, the review of the performance of the game is very different to when they lose by a big margin. Yeah. So the <laughs> losing is definitely is high detailed, but the win isn't high detailed. Why? Now they should be the same, right? <laughs> yeah. We should be going, okay, so what did we do here? What choice, what do we see? What choice do we make? How do we adapt here? That was so successful because we need to repeat that. Yeah. And now we get back to the problem with coaching. A lot of coaching is coaches will only ask a player a question when they've done something wrong. Yeah. You could away. argue it should be the other way around, really, shouldn't it? Yeah, we got I mean, that's where one of the PDS processes with, with uh, you know, the hot reviewing on the sideline and live in practices. Coaches, one of the conscious things we get coaches to do is say, teach players a self-review process, action review. And then when they do something exceptional and when they do something unacceptable that you think is unacceptable in choice, you, you ask them to review both, not oh. just one. So we, we don't ask the loaded question. We go, go, Jimmy, can we talk to me what happened over there? Now, Jimmy now knows, well, when I do something exceptional or unacceptable, I get the same question. Yeah. And actually, there's no clues. So now or we go, Jimmy, what did you see there? Yeah. So now what we're doing is we're, we're getting them to focus on the review process of, well, this is what I saw and heard. So based on that, what options came out? So yeah. based on those options, were there any variables that impact? Which choice should you go for? Would you change anything? So yeah. now we're getting them to think in a way that is no clues. Now imagine you can see now we've gone from massive governing bodies giving money based on potential medals and we've backtracked it to how a coach interacts with a grassroots player. And it's the same kind of principle, isn't it? Are we actually evaluating and scanning for the behaviours we want? Are we positively reinforcing the great behaviours often enough? And are we giving them the tools to be successful within effective behaviours? And often the answer is no, we don't do that well enough, consciously enough, consistently enough. So maybe there's the answer, Dave.
Yeah, yeah. And it, it works at so many different levels as you're talking here, which is the thing that I really like is, you know, working at a coach to athlete level, but also a coach to administrative or to an NGB level or an NGB to a, a sports council yeah, kind yeah. of body that the yeah. processes can actually just be related at different levels. Can't yeah, they? yeah. And that, that's what I really like. The principles and the language we use that I share with the coach to use yeah. with the players is the same a mentor uses with the coach, yeah. the same a manager uses with coaches and managers and admin. It's the same I use. I'm running a contract with a corporate business now globally that distributes um, fruit. Right. And we use the same with the sales team, same with the senior management, same with administration, same with accounts. It's a common language, common terminology. It's based on behaviors first, doing the best you can with what you have in the present moment and being able to understand what's expected, expectation permissions, and also a sequence of action review process where we review when something goes great the same as when it's unacceptable, but we don't, we manage our state. We always ask ourselves, am I in the state I need to, to be effective right now? No. What's that look like? Where's my intervention support to help me before I start the interaction? Mm. The principles are the same. It's a common language. It keeps it simple. So what it means is Dave, one, one key point is when an athlete moves up an age group, nothing changes in the language. The only thing that changes may be the condition and the speed of the game, the tech tack, but the, the coaching, the influence and the thinking, the language is the same. Yeah. And, and I think what I've taken from it and how you explain it for me is also we're not teaching people to respond and react to certain scenarios or environments because we're teaching them the quality of the process of reviewing. So they're actually yeah. taking it wherever they go and they can continue yeah. to use it. You know, and I think what I picked up earlier on from what you were also saying is that the idea of what do they do when the coach is on their arm or close by, but also what do they do when they're on their own, you know, yeah. independently. So we're actually giving them a, a skill of learning to reflect or learning to um, reframe things. So it's actually a, a skill that they're taking with them and a behavior that goes with them in life rather than actually just triggered off by environments. Yeah, 100%. The I mean, transformational is used quite often now, but actually that's where we know success is. If what we do within on a rugby pitch, a, a soccer pitch, a lacrosse, a netball court, actually those people we're influencing, coaches and players, everyone involved and parents, because we involve them as well, are then without even thinking about it, using it in their education, in their relationships, in their communication. The amount of coaches, Dave, that have said, I'm using this for my kids yeah. and my husband and my wife now, is telling you then it's effective, it's successful, because if they're dipping in and out, actually, it's not transformational, then I would argue under pressure, it's probably not going to be there. So is there real value? Have they really understood it's about how they see the world and how they get the best out of what's in front of them? Not be worried about what they can't have. What can you do with what you've got kind of yeah. attitude? Well, Mark, it really, it really plays to the philosophy of the Sports Stories podcast and, and, and the wider sort of Sports Stories brand because we work really closely with the idea of helping people become the best version of themselves more often and with skill. You know, and using yeah. some of these principles is about that, isn't it? It's about how do I yeah. carry myself around the world, whether I'm on a, a rugby pitch, hockey pitch, in the office, in the school, in the lessons, wherever, even with my friends and families, is how do I turn up? And if I'm trying to be the very best version of myself, on a regular basis, you're not going to go too far wrong. No, and, it, and then it's making sure that when we're supporting someone in change, we put support mechanisms in place to help support the change. Yeah. So, you know, one is the how to, but then is we know change is tough. So are we embedding using technology now, using, you know, WhatsApp, um, coach support groups where, you know, coaches, I, I have coaches, Dave, in the same support groups that are in different countries in different sports. Yeah. They're both sharing hot reviews um, and they're supporting each other little clips because we're, we're not talking about the, the 
the context of the sport we're talking about how we interact our effectiveness as an influence as a coach so sometimes that's even more powerful because they don't get caught up in the sport they're actually talking about the interaction so it's making sure that if we want someone to change same as an athlete a player a child an adult doesn't matter we need to make sure have they seen a value are they how to to how to tools that they can actually use but importantly are we supporting them on their journey of change and often we, we're not very good organizations. I feel personally, in my experience, sport is the same organizations in actually supporting the change. And that's the key. And there's technology now. We can, we can do it very, I mean, I've got, just an example, Dave, I've got 600 people now on different social support groups that I, I'm not directly interacting, yeah. but I've developed people to interact with each other. And I'm still in those groups. Yeah. And we have go-tos every month where we can have an upskill or any challenges they can't fix themselves. But that shows that's one person and how many people you can influence. And when we do this, what's beautiful is we see this ripple effect. So because they're using it all the time, I'll go, oh, what is that you're using? And then they share it because we say share it with everyone. You know, it's not a secret. Share it overtly with your players. I mean, a great example, Dave, is um, I shared a video this morning on Twitter that one of the intervention sites, Evo Rugby, Evo Soccer, and all the sites were doing these interventions. One of the things a coach does once they go through this journey of they watch themselves in video they identify where their one work on is for them right now not 20 things what's the one thing in their coaching they're influencing they share that with their team their players so the coach says everyone this is my work on so then at the end of a session the players review the coach how did i do on my work on so Mark, just give me an example here. You talked about the Evo rugby and, and soccer. For those listening in, what would a, a successful environment be working like? What would it look like if I was looking in from the outside? Just to give them an example of how it comes to life. Yeah, so if you came, what you would see, um, and we do uh, open days where you can just come and see it raw. So yeah. an example of that, you would see the kids turning up. They would have packed their own bags. They would have made sure they're hydration. Their parents wouldn't have done it. When they come in, you'd see them hand touching where available with the coronavirus, but before, yeah. <laughs> uh, and they'll, they'll be scanning their other players. So if they see a player looking a bit down, they'll reach out and talk to them. This without coaches, you'll see they'll do this naturally all the time. The coaches will turn up. They'll have an interaction. They'll make sure what's success for us today. The kids then will actually, when we start setting up, they'll manage the warm up. They'll run it. The coaches are still scanning. When it comes in, the players will help the coach design the session specifically. But actually what you'll see is you won't see, because we run this what we call Ninja Mastery, which we won't talk about too much. But what we do is early on, we identify who are the um, kids or senior players, doesn't matter, athletes, that are normally the influencers. Now, they could be a negative or positive influence, but they're highly motivated and often they'll dominate conversations and they could get frustrated with others don't commit in the same way. So what we do with them, we put them on a mastery course. And what that is, is helping them understand how to get the best out of others. So an example would be, if we know that person, even if they know the right answer, is always when players come into a huddy, they're always telling the other players. We share with them, can you help me get Jane involved or Sarah involved or Jimmy involved? So when you come in and huddle, can you stand next to them and go, Stevie, what do you think? And, and ask questions to get Bring everyone in. involved. Yeah. So we've got players now scanning other players to make sure everyone's involved and everyone's opinions valued. So we're building the team to, unit there, aren't we? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Team so interesting what we do is you can see where the difference is. It's not the coach doing that. The coach is, is where are my influences? I will influence the influences to help influence the players. So you'll see this through the whole of the session. And it's all about a principle of, you being the best you can be, what does that look like based on excellence? 
and then setting those UAEs and behaviors. Two is then helping everyone else be the best they can be. What would that look like? And coaches and players fall into that, players helping coach and players. And then the coach is at three is, okay, I only step in if I need to, but what does that look like? How can I support? So my aim is to make myself redundant, but I need to know the light and shade, when to step in, when to do the one-to-ones, et cetera, et cetera. And it's an overt share. So all the time in these cultures, what you will always see is the players are doing a lot more, but actually the players being more inquisitive about others, scanning others' behaviors first before the tech tack and having effective interventions themselves. You'll see a player running over to another player and helping them when they see them going a bit down. So this isn't luck. This is this is consciously developing players to do that. And we do that from six, seven years old. Right, yeah. I was going to ask, you, you mentioned about kids, you know, how low down do you go in terms of the age? And I'm with you. I think that the six, seven-year-olds are ever so resourceful and we just don't often yeah, allow yeah. them to, yeah. to bring their resource. Yeah, I, I honestly think that, you know, our, the biggest limitation on so many young children is the coach's belief of what they think they're not capable of. Um, and it's on so many courses, like I say, every masterclass I run, I have a question and pretty much every course now is, but what age would this work to Mark? It wouldn't work for six year olds, seven year olds or 10 year olds. So now I share videos and go, well, let me answer that with this video clip. Okay. These guys are 10, these are nine. And they look at it and go, Oh my God. And you go, yeah. So yes, we're their limitation. (laughs) So give them the tools, give them the permissions, set the environment, be patient, be relentless with it. So Canterbury tennis is a great example is they'll have five year olds, and it'll be a simple thing. Remember, we start it where their common languages is what they're capable of. So it'll be a simple thing where before they're serving, they've agreed now that the person, one serving, one's receiving, the person about to serve will scan for the other person. And if the other person's not with hand on both of the racket in the way we've agreed, bouncing up and down, doing the little jump, if they're not doing that, the other person doesn't serve. And then if they do it straight away, the other person that's about to serve goes, great setup. So, so then what we do is, and then the, the serve goes, and, and then what they do is they come into the net and they, they share with each other based on what we've agreed. And then you see the hand touch. So it's things that people go, a five, six-year-old could never do that. And you see it live and you go, no, they can if you develop the right environment and you give them the tools and the permissions and the time to do it. And they love it. The engagement is through the roof. We're not just making them tennis players. We're also making them young coaches. So they begin to coach each yeah. other broadly, yeah. aren't we? You know, help each yeah. other to develop. Yeah. And I guess it plays that tune of actually by helping others, I'm helping myself here, aren't I? Because I'm becoming more aware of who I am and what's going on for me. Yeah, and definitely. And remember, the coaches we develop, every good player should be a good coach in our interpretation of Coach Dave. Yeah. So you don't have yeah. need lots of high technical and tactical what you do need is the ability to listen and understand others first so it's kind of that Stephen Covey type rule is first understand and then be understood so one of the things we always do is that player first player last so if even with the young kids they'll they'll run into the net tennis for example and one kid will get the other kid to go first so you review first and go I thought yeah I was awesome there so they set UAEs and they can use colors whatever they want and they agree what would be unacceptable, exceptional, or different language. doesn't matter what word, so long as it's consistent. So that player will come in, and the other player will say, so how do you think you did? And you go, oh, yeah, I was awesome on that. I was ninja on this. Um, but I missed that once on the first one, so you reminded me there. Then they hand touch, and the other player goes. So instead of telling them what they did wrong, which is commonly when you see player to player, we go, no, you review first. And then, then, I, then you listen to me. But actually, there's already a pre-agree frame of success. 
So then again, can you see how a switch of language and terminology that is, as opposed yeah. to just players telling other players what they did wrong and how to put it right, which is common, right, when you get players together? Yeah, yeah. So, Mark, I can just really pick up on the, um, the passion in you in terms of the approach that you've developed. Um, and I can just envisage also what it would be like in one of your environments, actually, you know, where you're delivering the work. And, and I think passion is really important for me in terms of actually how you put that across and what you believe in it. Now, I guess my one question then to just sort of bring us towards a close is also about how has this really impacted on you throughout your career? So you've developed this approach over the last 30 odd years, as you say. I'm sure there's been some real highs and lows. And I'm just wondering, you know, what's been your mindset and how have you continued on this journey? It's, yeah, there's no question. It is a passion. I mean, I, I live, live through it um, and I've turned down a lot of um, wealthy business and opportunities just to continue with this. My vision is always, if I can impact and cause more ripples in a bigger audience, then that's kind of, you know, the, your eulogy, you know, you know, I've saved lots of rescue dogs and I've made, made it sounds a bit um, beauty pageant-ish, but I've made a difference that's embedded and changed people's behaviors in a positive way. So that's what's always driving me. So m what I'm very poor at is my marketing side and opening doors of cold calling, if that makes sense. So I'm ever learning. Um, I'd say my skill of the system is, is really high. My skill of letting people know about the system is, is really lower. low. It's lower. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you, you tend to grow. So most of my work's been through word of mouth. I must say podcasts now and YouTube, you know, is connecting with a few more. But it's, um, there's still a part of frustration of me that, you know, what am I, how can I do it? How can I get it across better, the people that don't know about it, just to get them engaged, to get them to commit? Um, because there's always the challenges. We know sometimes that one one personality, one person can hinder the impact of so many. And we know those people of influence are really important to get them to see the value and look past any personal egos or issues and, and really understand it's about other people. It's not about you or I. So I still need to get better at that. I know, you know, I'm, I'm seeing sometimes I've seen them as a dark night still to some because I am tra challenging tradition. And uh, as I mentioned earlier when we chatted is I don't see myself as rocking the boat, but I do see myself as shaking the tree at times. Right. And I guess for those people that want to really come on this journey, though, it's neither of those, is it? It's actually a, it's no. a way of going forward. No. Yeah. I, I guess I'm picking up on how, how do we frame it and how, what is your mindset? To where you want to go in the world and whether you want to be the best version this is a mechanism that you know you've had yeah. quite a lot of success with yeah I, honestly any person that's come to me and says look even people that are doubt but like, I'm, I'm open to it i want to explore i want to find out that it's been a powerful relationship and there's been some real impact um yeah. so all i all i ask people now to do is just 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 make a decision once you've collated the data Right. So let, let me take you on a journey where you can see the data. And sometimes it won't be me say, look, I'm not even here. Go to this place. Go to this place that's running it. You know, and, and so sometimes it's it's taking yourself away from the situation. You go, look, it's not me. It's, it's not Mark Bennett, the personality. You may have developed it, but actually true success is go somewhere where I'm not that's using it, that's embedded it, that's living. It. See the difference in the senior players or the junior players or the kids or the pupils, whatever it is, because yeah. that's your indication of success. Yeah. So that's all I ask of people. And anyone that's done that with an open mind, just looked at it. Yeah, it's been, it's been life changing. And that, that always gives you a buzz, doesn't it? it? Gets you up in the morning that you've had a positive impact on other people. I mean, what more is there to ask for really? 
Apart well, from rescue dogs, they rescue well, dogs. Helping people and rescue dogs. Eh? What's more <laughs> yeah. in life? But, but on a serious note, I think this is also part of what I'm looking to do with the Sports Stories podcast, because I think sport is such a powerful vehicle. And yeah. I think what you're, you're doing and what's come across very strongly for me is you're using the vehicle of sports to, to not just help people in sport, but actually really help them pick up the skills and behaviours that can really impact them in their wider communities, in life in general. Yeah, and I, can't, I cannot see how you can separate them. Yeah. I honestly can't. If you really want to embed change, I mean, let's look at it, just ignore the people context, ignore the transferability. If you're looking at, I want somebody to be effective in sport. The only way someone's effective in sport, they're under pressure in a game with 50,000 or just their parents on the sideline, watch them under their perceived pressure. They can still live and embed by the right values of managing their state, scanning well, making great choices without fear, committing to them, reviewing live, interacting, accepting feedback from others, having a positive how to possibly impact others around them under pressure. If, for you to do that, you need to embed the behaviours. And the only way you can embed them, behave them is embed them as a person, not as a player. So yeah. even if you're focused on outcome in performance, you still need to embed the behaviours in the person that has allowed them to be a better player. So I don't see there's a separation, Dave. Yeah. And I think that's contextually where I think when we get the magic of it happening when the big sports that give the funding out when they when they really because they say welfare and I, I truly believe they believe welfare is critical but actually some of their actions compromise that and contradict it when they understand that actually high performance is about people having great wellness people making great decisions under pressure people being able to accept feedback from others and listen and interact effectively with others they're their underpinning Principles, principles and unsupervised still making great choices based on your need not on your want when no one's watching when things are going tough they underpin high performance so yeah. actually they are people skills yeah. so when they make that context connection i think then real great things can happen but i don't think we're there yet yeah. but there's plenty of people that you've met there's plenty of people that i know dave that actually are passionate about this they're not going to go away they're just waiting for their time to make a difference and, and they'll still be here in 10 years because they're passionate about it they won't give up on it so I think sometimes it's about timing, but not giving up and be ready when the moment arises. So just coming back to you then, Matt, what has been your driver? You've not given up and you've been passionate about driving this forward. What's been the, the mindset or the, uh, the framing of this for you personally to keep this going? How have you managed this? I think part of it is, is self, wellness in myself. You know, I've, I've suffered. Give me a minute, Dave. So. Take your time. Take your time. I've suffered with depression since yeah. late teens. Yeah. And sometimes I self-reflect too much in life. I have in the past. And, yeah. you know, the dogs have helped me and me helping them. But having something to live for, having something, you know, can make a difference in others. Having a, having a passion that gets you up in the morning and, and gives you that positive reinforcement where there's detail where you can add to it, enrichment of life, then... Yeah. That what, that's what builds my wellness. And I think, you know, in life, I mean, when I left the army, Dave, in 2006, there was times when I was lying on my bed for four hours and not thinking that was a problem, not getting up in the mornings, yeah, yeah. you know, and it was, you know, I didn't have dogs then as well. So, you know, they've made a difference, but sometimes it's just, it's just understanding, you know, what you're on the planet for. And sometimes sure. that could be a neg negative spiral of self-reflection mm. um, of self-doubt. But if you have a passion, that you go i know one if i help others that gives me a buzz yeah. 
So, you know, that's being selfish and selfless. But yeah. if, if you know something can change others and you can, you can detail it, you can make it better, you can pursue your own excellence in it, yeah. then that keeps me mentally in a good place. Yeah. And if I, if I don't do that, I don't think I'll be around for long. Well, Matt, you really pick up on that really important thing about purpose and passion, actually, for me, you know, and what's come through from our conversation today is, is very much both of those, you know, and I think your drive and your determination to put this out there, I think it's quite a humbling way of saying, you know, this it is selfish. Well, it's also very selfless. Your, your drive is to really help individual people. And I, and I think that's one of the great um, dichotomies of of being a people developer. You know, I think we do help others, but we do get something back in ourselves, but we have to be getting the right balance in that. And, you know, I also recognize and hear the hardship actually, and I've experienced it alongside of you, you know, where people haven't actually engaged with this approach because sometimes it might not be about the approach. It might be more about them and actually yeah, where yeah. they're at and what's their approach to this. And it actually might be in a bit too hard to do box at the moment. Yeah, I just want to applaud actually your stickability and your staying power with it because I think it's phenomenal. And don't lose that passion, please. You know, to to help people yeah. because I think that's what the world bloody needs, doesn't it, at the moment? Is yeah. Well, well, some people just call me a tenacious git, Dave. But um, <laughs> it's all it's all uh, how you word it. But yeah, it's you know, it, I think as well when you know I, I, there was a girl called uh, Jemima who I went into a primary school in inner city London many many years ago, and she was morbidly obese couldn't walk up one flight of stairs and when she was unhappy her parents fed her and that both her parents were over overweight chefs and when she was happy they fed her and you could see that that when I spoke to the teachers they're saying Mark it's a parent's fault and there was a lot of other behavioral issues and demotivation and lack of dreams within some of the kids primary school this was and so I did an intervention in there and the changes in half a term were phenomenal and it's kind of you know those moments when you go wow um, the, at the end of the half term, the parents agreed that they were doing an intervention, but they didn't know what it was, but they agreed to an intervention. So at the end of the half a term, all the tables in the sports hall were around where they speak to the English teacher, the maths teacher, and I had a table. So the, all the parents came round, and, you know, the, these two sat down. I said, have you noticed any difference in, you know, in Jemima? And they both started crying. Oh, and they said, they said she came back um, after a few weeks at the beginning of the term. And she said, look, you know, I, I know who I want to be. And. I don't want to be this, but I know what I can be. So, you know, and it was, I was given a tool. So reading food labels and saying that, you know, anyone can achieve anything in life. It's about what you do in the moment. So what are you going to choose to do now linked into what you want? Yeah. And she started to make that connection. So she went, can I go shopping with everyone? Can we read the food labels and pick what we like the taste of, but can we go for a walk in the park afterwards? Is that her coming up with strategies? I just Brilliant. got her to think and we track and she got in contact, um, many years later and she was playing representative county hockey for a secondary school and it's those you know those little things and the parents were saying we we're now going for walks together we're we're losing weight but we're all happier but they said the fact she she was crying when she talked to us about it but what she said had such an impact on us yeah and it was just giving her the courage to go look you have a voice no one can tell you you can't do anything yeah. so what is it you want to do so yeah. what what choice do you need to make in the moment now because that's what that will define you. Don't let anyone tell you difference. And it was kind of that connection. And it's those little moments when you go, okay, well, that is transformational. So why on earth would I give up on that? Yeah. Even if I can, if I can make one other Jemima somewhere, one other Stevie, that's oh, worth it, isn't it? it? No, and I'm completely with you. And I think this is where, again, we're on the same page in terms of 
passion and purpose here because I think it is about making that difference and and that one person might make a difference to somebody else isn't it and I think today my my sole intention for all of the podcasts that I put together is you know if one or two people take one or two little nuggets away that can actually help them move and impact on their life positively I think we've done a really sound job here so I, I just want to kind of begin to draw us to a close here because I think we could go on forever because we're so passionate about it and I think that's a credit to you and the energy that you put in. And I'd love to find out more about the program that you're doing. But just as a, as a, a narrowing us down, could you give any um, sort of quick recommendations of, of resources that you've pulled on to help you in the past? You know, books or something that's really helped you, which we could sort of point other people to, to maybe go and have a look at. It's quite funny asset, ask that, Dave, because actually out of all the books, I think there's only been two that have gone, oh, that was interesting. One has been a, a good how-to book, and that was that Stephen... Uh, Covey seven habits of highly effective people yeah very simple but very effective um, yeah. and the other one was uh, Dr. Victor Frankl man's search for meaning yeah um, and, and that's really looking at you know his life and you know of, of, of getting you to understand actually it's not the environment that influences you it's your interpretation of the environment and you can choose to interpret it in the way you want to to help you be in the right state to help you control your life um, he went through obviously the concentration camps and yeah. how it affected him oh. But it's just that those were the only two. So actually the referencing stuff, I've just kind of made my own up through the podcast and the video clips that I've kind of shared free. So they're on the website and a YouTube channel now where, you know, people don't have to pay for. But at least it's a bit like this chat. If they can take one or two things, but then there's some how-to videos and some how-to podcasts um, just to help them go, well, actually, this is great. I've got no money, but how can I help me become better within my coaching or parenting, then at least there's some ABC steps for them to start with. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant. A couple more questions. And then I would like you to obviously also give out details of how people can follow you and contact you and keep abreast of the great stuff that you're doing. But just before we get to that, for me today, you, you've shown the sort of the intellectual side of things. You've shown the, the conceptual side of things um, in terms of the work that you've been doing. And, and I've also got a real good sense of, you know, the hard side of you in terms of really accountability and making people move forward, but also the vulnerability. And I think that's a great side of self-leadership. And what advice would you give to others in terms of how, how do you prepare yourself to be the most effective you can be on a daily basis? Yeah, so, so simple things you need to you need to find ways to understand yourself it is who you think you are, who you are. So, you know, back to I mean let's not say emotional intelligence is a academic as rigor to it or anything but the principle of being aware of your state and learning how to regulate it is underpinning everything so how often are we spending time in this state now am I in my ideal state to have an argument with my wife or husband or have a chat with the kids or I'm starting a, a coaching session grassroots I've just had a hard day at the office and now I'm starting, what is the ideal state for me to be in to be effective in this moment and use that as an opportunity practice. But I'd say if people, if you look at coaching, for example, if you can just film yourself just in coaching and don't look at the tech tack, just do what I call a hot review. So after you've re recorded yourself and it can be in your phone, a voice record if you want, but like a camera on the chest is brilliant and there's cheap ones out there now, is it straight afterwards, just do a little uh, in your phone, just voice recording of just review you. So this is how I thought I was. This is how I interacted. This is my state. This is how effective I thought I was. Just on you and your interaction. Then watch the video or listen back and then do another review and say, has anything changed? And that referencing of, oh my God, I didn't see this. Once you get used to, oh my God, my voice is like that. <laughs> just then 
it's a it's a really good lever of understanding who you think how you interact and how you do and that referencing will really change you the next time you go into that interaction and from that just pick one work on just say okay for me and it may be a simple thing of whenever i ask a question or a player says anything i'll come with the answer i don't have to add anything at the end you know it could be something as simple as that then what you do is anytime you put in a strategy set up a success uh, intervention so a success intervention may be share that with your coaches coaches this is what I've picked up. So I've agreed this is what I'm going to do. This is my work. And can you help me? So if I don't do it, say banana or give me a tap or something. And then if you develop the right environment, you share it with the players as well. So even young kids, you go, this is my work on. So can you help me? So if I don't do this, you can say banana to me and then I'll step back. But here's the thing. If I step back, you need to be able to do it. But can we help each other? Now that in itself, what type role modeling is that where their kids going, oh my God, the coach, an adult is sharing with us something that he wants to get better at. She wants to get better at. They're showing the very behaviors they're expecting of us, but they're living it. Living so it. those little things in itself, those little steps will make a huge difference. And, and I say that everything stems from that, I'd say, in developing as a coach. And Mark, how do you do that on a day to, you know, t today when you get up, how would you live that out? Let me give some real examples. So right. getting up today, um, obviously weather's hot. So I've already planned I'm going to get up early because the dog's heat. Yeah. So my dogs, because they're rescues, have been beaten in the past. Um, one's a three-legged thrown in front of a train, uh, lost yeah. a leg, and the other one had been beaten by clubs. So I know their state will be influenced by my state. And sometimes at the moment, they're not good with other dogs. They don't know. So I need to be mindful of what's success for me when I take them on a walk. So it's not taken from a walk is if I'm not calm in my state, if I'm not now where oh, I'm seeing another dog coming that they barked at before, if I start to tighten up, they'll pick up on it and then it will be ineffective. So now I've failed success. So what I do is I success set my success criteria for each dog walk. Brilliant. So the success criteria will be form a strategy to reduce their interact negative interaction with dogs and be aware of my state. Then after this, Dave, so yeah. this for me was, okay, so I know you, Dave, and we've had the chat before. So for me is just to um, be more about, as we discussed more about me and just be openly self-reflective. So how would, what state would I be in to, to do that? And then I'm going to the gym after this. So the gym after me, every time I go to the gym, before I start, I say to myself, what is success for me? What would be unacceptable in this session? So even if I say I'm going to do chest, yeah, but what feeling, what intensity, what speed, what do I need to get to in each move? And I do that in every single rep, in every training session. And I do that six times a week. So it becomes so much easier. So you'll never see me cruising in a training session because I've embedded that, but I still constantly do it. Yeah. And if I feel myself unacceptable, I reset. I go, right, okay, bang, stop. That doesn't count. What's, what's excellent look like to me now? What's it feel That's like? the question again? again, yeah. All the time. So it's kind of, it becomes so much easier, but it's so empowering because I'll never have a bad training session. Yeah. No, yeah. I'll make sure I'm aware when I'm unacceptable on a dog walk because yeah. it's about the dogs. Yeah. So then I, because I'm more aware of it, I can, I can adjust it as opposed yeah. to I'm not aware of it. And then afterwards I review what well, it's a bit late then. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's always seeking opportunities to practice the very tools that are going to help you be effective in yeah. certain situations. Great stuff. My two last questions. What, one would be, you know, again, you've shown and shared your story from, you know, the, your early childhood down in Cornwall, your, your military experience is now running your own business for a number of years in developing um, a system and a product right the way through to today. What advice, if you were to look back now, what advice would you give to a teenage version of yourself coming through? Two things is um, understand everyone's different and don't get impatient if they don't see what you see. Um, and understand not everyone's going to agree with you and not everyone's going to believe in you, but that's okay. That's not a 
that's not a knock on you. They just may not understand you or where you're going from, but it's okay. It's okay for people not to get it. And it, it, that in itself would have helped me so much <laughs> yeah. uh, over the years. Because, you know, don't spend time, too much energy on, on people, on the minority that give you a negative, you know, impact yeah. or say something negative. The 80-20 principle, yeah. nearly, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't ignore them, but understand where they're coming from. Yeah. And then spend your energy on things that is there anything you could do differently next time? Great. But that, close the door then. That's done. Don't don't keep it in your head. But don't forget to spend time on when you when you do great things. So I passed the commando course, Dave. I never gave myself a pat on the back. It's what's next. You know, I, I did so many different things. So I trained a team to break the uh, military marathon Guinness World Record by 15 minutes. Never sat back and go, ah, oh, that was awesome. It was like, what's next? So there's times when you, you don't just actually step back and go what have I just achieved this was fantastic yeah. and it's spending those little moments of you know that give yourself a pat on the back when you deserve a pat on the back sometimes Absolutely. we're not very good at that yeah celebrate some of those great things at the yeah, steps yeah. along the way don't they because yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they are only steps along the way but I think they're worth yeah, celebrating yeah. No, yeah. no absolutely well, Mark, my very last question is, you know, given that you've shared your story and been really open and honest and, you know, divulged quite a lot more about you than I knew. So it's been really fascinating for me. So thank you for that. But whose thought story might you be interested in hearing and, and why? Oh, that's a good question. That's one you could have asked me before, Dave. I'm now like <laughs> reflecting because there's so many people. Um, I think... I I'm quite interested if, um, for athletes that have gone into coaching have been, have been unsuccessful yeah. and successful. You know, those people that have had success in one area, but yeah. then not success in the others. I'd be really interested in that awareness of what did they learn yeah. from that other connection. So um, Mourinho, yeah. if you could get him on, that would be great, Dave. Um, <laughs> just because I'd be really intrigued because I've never seen it in books or interviews but it seems like he had a great mentor early on you know he wasn't the best player but he had a good mentor as a coach yeah. and he seemed to really connect with how to connect with people and win the hearts and minds to get them to see a way and he had great success and then it seemed like he felt well I've earned the right so I don't need to do the win the hearts and minds just trust me we're going to play this way and didn't seem to get the buy-in from teams and I wonder now if he switched back where he's realized actually what was missing. I'm the same coach with the same strategy, yeah. but what did I not do here that I did there? I'd, I'd be really fascinated with that kind of thing. Oh, brilliant. Well, you've given me plenty of things to think about. So again, thank you for that. So you've shared a lot about the PDS system and, and your journey, you know, and I know very much that this is actually not the end of your journey with it you know it's something that we're continuing to mm. to push out there because i know your passion is about making a difference in the world and for those that work around you uh, especially those that want to engage in this kind of approach so mark how could people get in contact with you should they wish to find out a little bit more so twitter is pds coach so papa delta sierra pds coach uh, website is pdscoach.com see what i did there dave kept I it did. simple getting early uh, and they're, <laughs> they're my yeah yeah they're they're my two main ones that i work through i'm instagram is pds coach as well but i'm, I'm not i still haven't figured instagram out so i don't <laughs> do a lot on there yeah. Um, but yeah they're they're the main two and on my website um there's online services are given the live interventions big organizations teams and individual coaches but there's a link to the youtube there as well with the resources um that i just download on video clips examples of people using the tools presentation so, yeah they're the main ones well mark 
it, all it leaves me to say is again thanks for being so open sharing all of that great stuff and making a difference in the work that you do because i know it does make a difference i've, I've spoken to people and who have, have really shouted about the great impact that you've had on their life as well so uh, thanks for being so open and honest. Um, and as I say, I'm sure this is only three quarters of the way through the journey. So it'd be great at some stage to come back on and talk a little bit more about other, other aspects of the coach and people development work that you do. What's your big take home from this day? Could you know me before? What has come out of this? I'm interested that it's been like you, uh, anything for you as a take home from this chat. The thing that struck me more than anything is that the, the I'm going to call it the, the, the hard approach or my perception of the hard approach of the pds system is very people centric and actually it's about actually making better people to make better sports people and and that's the bit i love the most and i, I appreciate that we're not all into a strict model or a framework yeah. but from what i've also picked up from you is the flexibility within that you know yeah. and the the usability and i think that that's what lands with me so it's not about thinking that i'm going to be pigeonholed and driven through a process that's a flexible and flexibleness around that yeah and that that is the key to it dave i'll be honest and i i asked you that because that's going to help me in my marketing because yeah. obviously you saw that from the outside but yeah it's a it's about you can add anything to it so if you're game based if you're constraints if you want to coach this way you can put anything you want on it it's not it's not restrictive it's actually giving you frameworks to make it more organic yeah so it's it, there's a flow to it but there's a framework to help you influence if that makes sense yeah but on that note um, thanks for your time energy keep on with the good work um, and look forward to seeing you again pretty soon so there we have it a fast-paced passionate purposeful conversation with mark i really feel like i need to listen back through the conversation again to really unpick the key principles and truly make sense of the model mark has spent so much time and energy developing what was clear to me was the unwavering belief mark has in the approach he takes to his life and that of helping develop coaches. I was also struck by Mark's openness and honesty with himself when he believed he wasn't making a difference or being the best version of himself. This conversation has led me to pose the following two questions. How often do you say you will do something and then not do it? How do you therefore become more accountable to yourself and your actions to embed your desired behaviors? And secondly, I believe it's important to appreciate and reward yourself appropriately so what have you done recently that you need to celebrate and give yourself a pat on the back for that you have failed to do so? Please take some time to consider the questions as well as the saying Mark used. People talk about wanting change then are not prepared to change. Is this you? What first steps could you take to make that change? So it's been a, a really thought-provoking podcast today. I do hope you've enjoyed it and take some value. As always, let me know your thoughts and feedback. The email address is sportsstories247 at gmail.com or please leave a comment or review on the Apple Podcast platform. It's been great to have you with me today and please tune in to next week's podcast when we will have two-time Olympian, business owner, entrepreneur and all-round good guy sharing many interesting and inspirational stories and tips on how to live a more purposeful life in and through sport. So from me, Dave Levine, have a good week and I look forward to having you with me again for more sports stories next week.